Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. An ongoing conversation with ministry leaders about embracing complexity and uncertainty with joy and faithfulness. This is Amy Valdez Barker with the Ministry Collaborative, and I am delighted to be with my friend, Eric Martin. Eric and I came to meet each other through Marty Linsky's work and Ron Heifetz, whose latest book is The Practice of Adaptive Leadership. And Eric has written also a couple books around adaptive leadership and has been the founder of Adaptive Change Advisors, also done amazing work with adaptive leadership. So he and I started talking several years back. I was looking for more information and learning more about what it meant to be an adaptive leader, especially in a world that is constantly changing. So it feels like we're always having to adapt. So I think it's really important for us to have this conversation with Eric today and really wrestle with what he's seeing in the field of adaptive leadership. So Eric, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself in the work of adaptive leadership. Oh, well, first, it's great to be here with you, Amy. I'm looking forward to this conversation. The linear story is I was an engineer by training growing up in the city of Detroit. That was kind of the way you achieved anything in life and always interested in systems change, you know, as an engineer. And then, of course, realized that these wonderful systems and strategic plans that people like engineers and others create often don't actually get implemented by other people. And so, after being befuddled for years about that, I discovered this world of leadership and change and thought, well, maybe there's an answer here about how do you actually help people make meaningful, consequential change happen when just logic and plans alone aren't sufficient. So I think that's one story. I mean, the other one is, you know, I met someone living in Japan and I happened to have a good conversation with one of the founders of Adaptive Leadership in a hallway, just coincidentally, and through one happenstance and another, ended up in this role. That is amazing. So tell us a little bit more about Adaptive Change Advisors and what you all do in the big picture of working with leaders. Yeah, so ACA is the premier mission-based adaptive leadership organization worldwide. Our mission is to what we call democratize leadership, which has two pieces. One is obviously getting these ideas and tools into the hands of anyone, anywhere, regardless of their identity or history or access to financial and political capital so that they can lead meaningful change. And then the other part of this, which is a bit esoteric, but it's the skill set of democracy. We live in a conflictual environment, not just unknowns like you were talking about, but at least in the United States, right? And so how do we hold that kind of conflict that's integral to healthy democracy? But how do we hold that in a healthy way, in a life-affirming way, in a life-giving way? So for me, that's what Parker Palmer, the terrific writer on these concepts, talks about as healing the heart of democracy. And so democratizing leadership for us is also about instilling that kind of capacity and sensibility. Oh, yeah, I love that. When we talk about capacity, that's really what the Ministry Collaborative is about, is how do we help ministry leaders in particular build that kind of capacity so that they're multiplying that in other places and spaces? Your book isn't just about leadership, but it seems to be much more democratizing leadership in an age of authoritarianism. <laughs> Isn't that kind of a poke at the beast of our so-called democracy today? Yeah. I mean, it's a poke at the beast of democracy. It's a poke at our organizational life, to be honest. I mean, it's kind of sobering if you think about it. Most of us work in organizations where democracy is not only not present. I mean, do you vote for your CEO or your ED? <laughs> you know, it's not only not present, it's not even expected. And yet we spend the majority of our lives, at least in the Western world, I would say, 
in these organizations that are frankly autocratic, if not straight up dictators, people who control your livelihood, what success looks like. So how the heck are we going to build this capacity for democratizing leadership when most of our experience is in these kind of workplaces? So yeah, it's poking the beast all around. What have you discovered in poking that beast? Where have people leaned into it? And where have people been like, oh my gosh, Eric, what are you saying to us? This isn't even possible. Why are we even talking about this? Overall, it's well-received, especially from people who sit atop these autocracies, you know, these dictatorships, these organizations. Why? You know, I think partly because many people who are at the so-called top of organizations, and it could be community life as well or political life, they feel quite alone. Gosh, I've worked for years, for decades even, to amass this authority, not because I'm power hungry, although sometimes from the outside they seem like that, and I can't get stuff done. There's a sense of helplessness um, beholden to shareholders or stakeholders or board members or community is the kind of thing you hear people say. So in a way, I think people are relieved to make this distinction as we do in adaptive leadership between authority, which is, of course, the same notion of authoritarianism in some ways, on the one hand, and leadership on the other hand. And we find that when we help people see the difference between exercising authority and exercising leadership, it's a bit cathartic. Oh, that's why I've been hitting my head against the wall for so many years. Now, there are some people, you know, and this is somewhat cultural as well, who are somewhat threatened by this notion that what they thought was leadership and thinking of themselves as leaders is actually not. But again, part of this is not about poking, but it's actually about accompaniment and relationship and holding people through a process of change in the way they think about leadership, the way they think about their work. So, yeah, I think overall it's been well received. You know, I think ministry leaders, pastors in general, think that what they're doing is a democratic approach because, you know, we believe that we are working for the people and leading with the people. And yet too often we find ourselves in ministry positions that we are sort of forced into this authoritarian, Mm. just make the decision for us, right? Like just do it because it's easier for you to make the decision and then we can kind of get our hands off it, which is the difference between technical and adaptive work. So how have you worked with and coached leaders to say, well, There is a place where you have to take authority in democratizing the leadership. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? How do people lean into that? And how do you help them walk that journey to more or less self-awakening, but then also how they lead differently in their roles? Yeah, that's a great question. There's actually two key points in what you're asking, Amy. The first is, how is it that we all in some way become complicit in creating these authoritarian regimes. And the second is the distinction between technical and adaptive problems, which you mentioned. So let me talk about the first one first, and that's really the core of the book, Your Leadership Moment. Yes, there are certainly structural, systemic aspects of authority. That's undeniable. And yet at the end of the day, it comes down to human decisions. Do we choose to abide by those rules, by those policies, by those laws? And Without getting too detailed here, I would say there are, generally speaking, four things that people want from leaders or people that they call leaders. And the first is they want a sense of direction. You know, where are we going? What's the strategic plan? What's the vision? The second thing they want is a sense of order and calm and minimized conflict. The third thing that we all want, including myself, from people in these positions of power is to feel safe. We want to be protected emotionally, physically, psychologically, financially. 
And then lastly, and this is probably the most unrealistic, they all are to some extent, we want them to be experts. <laughs> we want them to know what they're doing, to have the answers. And so these four pressures or expectations on people in authority is actually part of why they cave in because they want to give these things. They pretend that they know how to do it sometimes when they don't actually have the answers and they can't promise that everyone's safe. The act of leadership is quite distinct from those four things. And yet, again, because we were trained from a young age with our parents, with our teachers, that this is what leaders give us, direction, order, protection, expertise. By the way, the acronym there is DOPE. It is DOPE. <laughs> That's what happens. So we become complicit. And so I think to your second question then, by helping people see the difference between two different kinds of problems, we could begin to tease apart. So when is authority needed when you can't provide those things? And when is it actually getting in the way? And so this technical adaptive distinction is the one way you begin to then peel back that onion. And again, that's very revealing for people. They realize, oh my gosh, that's why I've been stuck. I've been thinking that these adaptive problems that don't have easy answers are technical and applying these known approaches, which maybe even make the problem worse sometimes. So a lot of people have heard that language. I think adaptive leadership has been out there. Adaptive change has been out there. Hmm. For those who haven't heard about it, talk to us really about what is the difference between technical and adaptive. And when we identify it, because I've been at this for a while, even just trying to look at it from the church's point of view, even if you've got the adaptive skills, hmm. if you might say that, how do you recognize when you're actually making a change, when things are actually moving in any direction positively, right? I just feel like we just stay in the technical realm. So can you yeah. kind of parse that out a little for yeah, us? Yeah, sure. I mean, first kind of definition, I'll just give you an example. And this is very mm -hmm. live for me. My daughter, who's a freshman in high school, she stopped going to school at some point earlier this year. And at first we thought that was a technical problem. So we tried to get the homework squared away and everything that she could have to feel prepared to go in. And we realized over time that it wasn't going to be solved that way. And so we're now in this process of trying to figure out what really is getting in the way of school attendance and what part of that is us as parents too and how we're parenting. And so how do we know that we're in an adaptive change process? It's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I mean, part of it, frankly, is when people are in an adaptive change process, it asks us to make tough choices and it actually asks us to sometimes give up comfortable ways of attacking old problems or showing up behaviorally. So when people resist adaptive change, it's not about the change, actually. It's about the loss that they're resisting. So that's kind of one way you know. But the flip side of that is the gain. You know, So having a new relationship with my daughter, being able to work with my wife and school teachers and the community in a different way, it's really beautiful to see the support network here. But none of us know how to do this. And there are some technical best practices, but for the most part, we need to figure it out ourselves. And for me, that's the joy and beauty and that kind of life affirming creative aspect of adaptive change, which makes the loss worth going through. Oh, wow, Eric. That's a beautiful way of beginning to think about, all right, well, what is the beauty and the changes that have happened? You wrote about one of my wonderful colleagues and friends, Kenitha Bigham Sai, in your book and, you know, on the verge of schism. And mm. you were walking the journey with her in that particular role in the church. And there's a lot of churches, specifically in the United Methodist Church right now, who are really living that and experiencing that. And a lot of these churches, mainline Protestant churches, are experiencing loss. So what did you learn from that experience of walking with Kanitha in the adaptive change? And what have you seen as both some of the benefits of that hmm. on the other side of it a couple years down the road? Yeah. Well, I'll say the first thing that just stands out for me, and it's partly why I got into the work with Kanitha, is the tremendous capacity 
within the United Methodist Church and other faith traditions as well to hold space for these kind of conversations. I mean, it's hard. The most simple definition of leadership that I could provide is that it's about holding space, holding space for this kind of conversation, which may take years, if not decades, to unfold. And so having a place of worship, having a language, having similar values, having somewhat of a shared history, depending on where you are, these are tremendous resources to being able to hold that space for adaptive change around the really tough issues that the church is trying to work through right now. Frankly, most organizations in this world don't have that capacity, that depth of relationship. And I'm not trying to romanticize. I know there's a lot of issues within the church as well. So that's kind of why I got into the work partly. It was like having seen what was possible within secular organizations when it comes to leadership and change, I thought we need a deeper kind of change in this world to tackle the big challenges we face. And Amy, I know you've worked on some of these issues in your work in the past. So to see that breath of fresh air, as hard as it was and to see Kanita and many people go through that change process and still doing so, gave me a tremendous amount of encouragement that this is indeed possible. Yeah, I was actually just talking to one of my colleagues about that this morning where we were wrestling with the fact that people feel so unstable in so many aspects of their life. From work, there is not the sort of security of having 20 plus years of work anymore or life. I mean, divorce rates are just through the roof. Mm -hmm. And even as you were just talking about school, the way school is handled anymore, academics, all of these institutions that used to be the known have been disrupted. And so we're living in this realm of disruption constantly. And you've got next generations who are being born into this realm of disruption. And the church should be that place where space can be offered for people to really sort of seek that. So that's the beautiful part of what you were talking about, Eric. As you think about the ministry leaders or the faith-based leaders that you've worked with, what have been the best successes that you've seen in their journey, their work as leaders? Because I know you've worked with quite a few. These are day-to-day -day wins, you know? The big things, like what the UMC is going through right now, that's rare and far between. You know, I've seen church pastors reconcile relationships of past traumas that have been inflicted on members of the community. Not that they were responsible for per se, but the church was. I'm talking about the Catholic Church in this case. You know, I've seen just regular organizational change, people trying to come together around strategic plans and engage with each other in ways that they've been stuck for years. So, you know, it's kind of the day-to-day -day practical stuff of organizational life, having courageous conversations with colleagues and things of that sort. Like I said, the big stories, you know, that kind of wrote about in your leadership moment are few and far between. But this is kind of the nature of leadership work. You know, it's not just about the big stuff. And if we're going to, as you were saying, begin to shift our relationship to these systems of authority and have a realistic relationship with authority, be it the church or the government or others, it's going to take these small everyday leadership moments. And I talk about leadership actually as a moment. And by my count, you know, kind of through some research and lots of experience, there's about five leadership moments every day that we all face. So the question is, would you recognize a leadership moment when it comes your way and would you know what to do when you did? And so for me, if we can do that more and more every day, we can really begin to shift the culture of leadership not just within the church, but within our country and within the world. That's my aspiration, at least. Can you tell us what those five leadership moments are that we face every day? Oh, well, they're different. I mean, you know, it's when your heart is leaping with hopeful anticipation of taking that next step or maybe fear of taking that step. It's, you know, you might take a knee in a form of patriotic protest. It's speaking up, standing down. There's so many different ways. You know it because you feel it in your gut. It's in your heart. 
that's where leadership actually happens. It's not up in your head where the technical solutions are. Praise God for that. Mm. <laughs> Eric, it has been a delight talking to you in this conversation, and I hope that we will be able to continue to lean into that. In the last couple seconds, can you tell us what you guys are doing next? Yes. Uh, so it's really about a movement, Amy. We're building a movement. We're part of a movement of people who are already leading in this way, and we're just helping give a name and a language and a set of tools and practices for that. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and look forward to chatting with you again sometime. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org. 